Hey everyone, Space Michael here. How's everyone's summer going? I'm having a hot boy summer, not the good kind here sweating on the West Coast, but I'm here dropping into your feed to bring you a bonus episode that we recorded as part of a live Zoom event for Science Odyssey back in May 2021. Now, Science Odyssey is a Canada-wide festival that celebrates all aspects of STEM and STEAM, which is what we're about. So we brought in three guests that were all featured in season one of Nerd and About. We talked with Dr. Sam Yamin, got an update on communicating about COVID-19, also promote Senaranth Yappa, a condensed matter physicist, and Kim Senclip Harvey, who you'll hear us talk about her recent Governor General Award nomination for her play Kamloopa. Well, since then, she has now won that award. So we highly recommend you going out and buying Kamloopa from your local bookstore, as well as going back and listening to each of these guests' original episodes in season one. So have a look in our show notes to follow them all on social media. They are all active there and amazing science and art communicators. We're recording episodes for season three that will be out in the fall. Drop us a line. Tell us what you're nerding about. But for now, from Kaylee and I, Hags, have a great summer. So if you have listened to the podcast, if you've listened to any of them, get in on the Q&A because we're going to have a very tight hour. Uh, so it's going to be really fun uh, and it's going to be wild. It's going to be, you know, a lot of laughs, a lot of cries, uh, all of the above, really. I don't want to cry. Can we not cry? I feel like the last year's had a lot of that. Can we? I mean, can it just be good vibes? I meant like laugh cry, not like sad oh, cry, fine. sort of like laugh cry. Yeah. Like the emoji with the tears. and Yeah, okay, I'm on board. That's fine. <laughs> uh, one final thing uh, that I wanted to mention off the top. So uh, we did a, in lieu of a ticket price, uh, we asked people to donate to the BC Cancer Foundation. If you have not listened to our one of our more recent episodes uh, with our friend and colleague, Dr. Greg Boll, he has stage, uh, stage four cancer uh, and he has uh, directed all of the support to go to the BC Cancer Foundation. So really appreciate uh, if you have uh, any extra cash lying around to go there or to your local cancer foundation, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of big problems in the world right now. And that has been an ongoing one and will continue to be uh, a big issue going forward. So thank you all for your support. Okay, let's get to uh, our, our amazing guests that we have here, Kaylee. Yeah, who are these super rad people? Well, we are going to introduce to you some folks who are doing some amazing communications and who've been past guests on the pod. First up, we're very lucky to be uh, sharing some virtual space with Dr. Samantha Yamin, who joined us on our very first episode of the podcast, our very first baby episode. You may know Sam as Side Sam on social media, and Sam has been continuously communicating about COVID-19 over the past year, debunking misinformation and helped to launch the hashtag Science Up First initiative. So everybody, please say hi to Sam. 
Hey, everybody. <laughs> and, uh, so Sam's with us. We've also got Kim Sanclip Harvey, who is an indigenous theorist, cultural evolutionist. Kim's uh, efforts to decolonize theater uh, was in, uh, through comedy, was in episode nine. We talked about her podcast, The Indigenous Cultural Evolutionist. Kim's doing her master's in creative writing, University of Victoria, and... She's the author of Kamloopa, an indigenous matriarch story, which was nominated for a Governor General's Award. Kim, what's up? Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with the space expert, what I put on Twitter, the rat doctor. Kaylee, I'm so sorry for doing that. I was walking down the street and I was like, what was I saying? So um, I'm just so <laughs> Grateful to be here with so much knowledge. You know, it's so funny when I, I saw my uncle last summer and I was explaining to him that I just got a PhD. He said, so you're a rat doctor. I was like, yes. It's like, so nothing serious, but just rats. I'm like, I guess so. So you, you hit it right serious. on the head. But yeah, I'm on with your uncle there. So uh, grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And uh, last but not least, we have Promote. Now, you might have noticed if you listen to the podcast that we usually have different intro music, but today we have some music that Promote made for us, and it is incredible. Promote Center at Yappa told us on a previous podcast about why helium is super cool. And Promote is a theoretical condensed matter physicist and PhD student at the University of Alberta, where he studies the properties of matter when it's cooled to near absolute zero. And in addition to that, in 2019, Promote also won the Dance Your PhD competition for his swing dancing rendition of Electron Behavior, Superconductivity, the musical. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, it's, it's very hard when you're confined to a chair to do anything that looks remotely cool. So, um, hello, I'll wave. That's my dance move. So glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just like I said, get in on the Q&A if you have questions, but we're going to start with an update uh, with our very first guest, episode number one of Nerdin' About, and that was uh, Science Sam, you know her uh, from her amazing uh, science communication work uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, hey, Sam, what's uh, what's been shaking? I mean, like, we had you on, you know, this was I think like late March, early April, kind of like the beginning of the pandemic, and you had just switched a lot of your science communication to talking about COVID, you've been doing amazing work. You know, I just got my AstraZeneca vaccine the uh, the other week. And, uh, you know, uh, I haven't been looking at the news. I don't know if there's any um, news about that. You know, I guess the pandemic's over. Uh, why don't you give us uh, an update? Uh, what's going on out there in your world? I can't even, what a world away from when we first spoke. Uh, I have, I definitely dove in uh, in those early weeks of the pandemic. I remember saying it's just going to be one week of coverage. And now we're at, I don't even know how many months because time is not real. And I have still been talking uh, a lot about COVID, trying to engage people with facts, mostly about vaccines. And it's it's been a wild ride, honestly, uh, especially the last few weeks here in Canada with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which I'm so glad you did get, by the way, for anyone feeling weird about it. It's an amazing vaccine. So happy for you. But yeah, it's been a wild ride. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the nuances of that messaging uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine? 
Uh, just just I mean, for my own personal uh, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the AstraZeneca is the media darling. It's just been for for so many different reasons. It's been in the news, and I would say what people should remember the core takeaway is that the science and the rigor behind the review process, the science behind this vaccine, is incredible. And I think part what people may take comfort knowing is that part of why the communications have been all over the place is because we actually have so many different independent bodies here in the country who are reviewing things and, and independently going through different data. And that can sometimes lead to like a slightly different version of the message, especially when we don't have a unified message coming from the top. Uh, and so that's why I think there's been a lot of chaos is there's been some things to review and many people reviewing it. It's, giving their own version of pretty much the same message. So I just want to say for anyone feeling nervous, you know, you got an awesome vaccine, you have protection and in a crisis, that's dope. <laughs> I think everyone should put into the Q and a, uh, if you have gotten the vaccine, let us know which vaccine that you got. It can sort of be like that. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw SNL on the weekend when there was like every uh, post pandemic mm -hmm. or post uh, lockdown conversation. So what <laughs> vaccine did you get? <laughs> oh, oh, I got Pfizer. I'm going to say I, lo I love the memes uh, and the different TikTok videos, like turning them into personalities. I don't share them because I'm like, maybe people will take it seriously if I share it. <laughs> but just know that uh, on my spare time, that's what I'm watching. I have a question. So when we first talked before, we were even talking then about the messaging around masks had just changed, right? Every Everything at first was like, you don't need to wear a mask. I was that person. I was like, you don't need to wear a mask, save it for the doctors. And then I had to be like, oh no, the science is changing. And then, oh, it's by touch, really wash your hands, which wash your hands, but actually aerosolization and, and airborne. So like the science has constantly changed. And how have you sort of stayed stayed up with that to be able to keep communicating because you've built such a, an amazing community of trust in science which is hard to do when the science and the message keeps changing thank you um it's it's really interesting and every now and then I, I might sound like a narcissist for saying this but i actually think it's a really important thing if you post online go back and look at your own stuff every now and then and see how you feel watching it it feels weird at first but you get used to it and i was going through some of um, the things I've written about the vaccines for the last uh, few months. And it, it's been really interesting to see just the different things that you're emphasizing because the messaging is changing. But I think ultimately what I'm proud of having done is to always be clear about limitations, always be clear about caveats. I think a lot of people are really quick to dismiss things, especially, sorry to keep bringing up AstraZeneca, but it's all I've been talking about, I don't know, last two months people were really quick to dismiss things. And it was like, no, we should talk about it. We don't have to baby people. We can let them know this is what's up and now make your decision. And it's a great one, <laughs> but same thing with masks. We were quick to dismiss and say, no, we never wear masks here. So we're not doing it. And instead we should have been like, oh yeah, cloth masks exist. If we're having a shortage, there are other options, but I too didn't really think of that because we can be quick in a crisis to just want to say something comforting when really what people want is the truth. The truth is uh, is a, is a stick is a sticky matter, uh, Sam. So you're talking about you know currently with the AstraZeneca, and I would love to you know not to end on like a down note, but it is positive because you know even though it is like a lot of people are talking about it, but I hear a lot of like science communicators you know trying to say that it people should be celebrating that we have this vaccine. So where are we like right now? Like 
like today because I actually haven't like read the news like in the last like day or two. I, I was just joking. I have read the news. I know what is going on. But like, like, where are we like right now with people that have gotten the AstraZeneca? I know a few people in the webinar said that they did get it. Um, so Ontario, I believe, said that they were um, taking it out of the rotations. What's going on? We're so yeah, um, and and may I might have missed the news. I was. It's funny. I was being interviewed in the news a lot today, which means I missed what was being published in the news today. So I may be a little behind too. But as of uh, this morning, Ontario and Alberta had both decided to pause giving out more first doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Alberta citing more of a supply uh, limitation, like dwindling supply, wanting to reserve the limited supply we do have for people who want their second dose to match. And in Ontario, it was a mix of things. The fact we have so much mRNA coming in, dwindling supply as well, and also slightly increased rate of those rare um, but unusual blood clots. So it was kind of a mixed reasons. And I think that that was a fair decision to make right now. But the, the, the difficult part is that many things can be true at once. It, it is true that this was an okay decision to make right now and still true that you deciding to get the vaccine last week was still a great decision. And that duality, because I think we're so focused on trying to give the simple reassuring answer, we're sometimes afraid to give the detail or sometimes we give too much detail. <laughs> and so we're always on one extreme and people really want the concise detail, the snack version is what I like to call it. And that snack version, I think, gives a bit more clarity. Yeah. Um, we're going to uh, transition to our next person. I just wanted to end with one last question for you, Sam. Like how, how have you been doing, you know, like you have been like, so uh, on top of all of this that is coming out. And, you know, I, I, sometimes like I, I get like almost like a little angry when I see like people give you a bit, give you some flack, give you some, uh, give you a little bit of pushback. And I'm like, no, that's my friend. I don't like that. So uh, <laughs> like, how, how, how have you been doing? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm strictly okay. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's been really hard. Uh, fun fact about me. I have extreme needle phobia. Like it's a pretty common thing, but I'm on the very severe end. So definitely never wanted it to be my job to have to think about needles every day. So it's taken a toll. I recently, um, started back in therapy, which has been amazing. I have an awesome therapist who practices from a disability justice lens, and it has been already so affirming and wonderful. So highly recommend folks who are also strictly okay, seek out a therapist if you can. Lots of free resources floating around right now too, which is really awesome. Um, but ultimately I'm optimistic. And if that if that reassures anyone else, I want to be clear. I'm really optimistic. I think especially in the next month, stuff's going to become so much easier in Canada. And now my heart is more so breaking for what's going on around the world and the responsibility we have for vaccine and health equity and just all over equity um, around the world. So that's kind of where my, my heart is breaking these days, but we are going to be okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's an important highlight is that we're balancing so many traumas, like trauma at home, trauma in cl close in our family, trauma globally, and being able to balance those and find space and like still find energy to invest in and take care of. I think it's really important. And that's something that I've really appreciated about your communications too. So we are going to uh, have a little transition. The world, there's so much going on. And speaking of lots of things going on and happening. There has been a lot going on here for our next guest, Kim Sanclip-Harvey. Kim, you've had so much on the go last year. 
that I find it really hard to keep track. But then also like in the last week, you've had an incredible number of new things happening with your work, with your masters, uh, with the fire company, with your creative works. I was really lucky to sit in on your master's defense and learn more about what you've got going on. P.S. There were musical numbers in this master's defense and it was amazing. And all defenses should have musical numbers. My rat musical would have been a uh, something else. Um, so give us an update. What, what's, what things have changed for you since we last chatted? Wow. What a question. Uh, I so I successfully completed my master's at the university of Victoria. So I have my master's in creative writing. Yes. Kayla was so glad you're able to be there and witness the work. And yes, Adrian Glynn sang two of the songs for my master's thesis project. Um, and then I was also in the fire company. I had the fortune of finding out, uh, last week that Kamlupa, uh, an indigenous matrix story was nominated for a governor general's award, uh, which is like, nobody cares about theater or plays and it's the highest honor a play can get. Like there's really no literary awards for theater except this one. And it's a big one. And so we were very grateful uh, to get that nomination alongside so many other incredible works and people. And uh, it, that was a wild one because I actually finished writing that one in 2019 and we produced it in 2018. So it feels like this really fun trip down memory line. And me and my friend read it the other night being like, what did we write? And being like, like trying to remember what exactly it was. And I was like, right, this is a great play. This is fantastic. Good work, us. And then I also got my offer to go into my PhD at law at the University of Victoria. So uh, that's something that's just in the works and, and would be a justice focus journey for me into uh, intersecting artistic legal orders uh, and the intersection of imperial justice and ensuring that Indigenous people's legal orders are represented um, in a, you know, multi-judicary society and, and Canadian state. So that's just a few things that are happening. We also are just in the midst of signing a, a premiere deal to do a short film or no, actually it would be like a 75 minute film of uh, Break Horizons, the live musical version that would premiere in October, but details for that to come and be announced. And uh, I also started teaching at UBC uh, last yesterday, Tuesday, yesterday, creative writing course. So yeah, just a few things happening and you know, just a couple of things, but I feel very grateful. And like, I want to just hearken to what Samantha, you were saying around ensuring that I feel like the reason that I was able to keep and manage all these projects is my deep commitment to my mental, spiritual, and physical health. I just had a great session with my therapist today to kind of keep me on track. And I really do advocate that if you are struggling or you needing something, or even when you're not struggling to really invest in yourself, because even with all these things going on, uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic still. And sometimes I have these like is this too much? What's happening? How do I calibrate? And having multi-support systems in a world where a lot of our regular people who are taxed or are dealing with their own stuff, I'm just very grateful to have many support networks in my community right now. Well, we are so happy to, that you came into our lives last year, Kim. I learned about a little play that you're working on. You already name-checked it called Break Horizons. Mm -hmm. But I think for everyone that's here, if they hadn't listened to your episode and don't know what Break Horizons is, I think you need to tell us what you're working on because this is just like fucking phenomenal. <laughs> So Break Horizons is a rocking Indigenous justice ceremony. It's a play that kind of um, spirals around a orbits around an Indigenous women's healing lodge, which is a minimum security prison that's focused on Indigenous values and forms of rehabilitation and restorative justice. Um, to me, I was in the, the, the master's and I was thinking about how do you give anyone to give a heck about uh, Indigenous justice and judicial reform? And I was like, rock and roll, sexiness, like fun, comedy. Uh, 
Uh, and so I've been working on that project and which so much has happened in terms of the development of it. We now have 10 songs for it that are a vibe of rock and roll, rap, pop, a bit of folk country. Uh, and the script has taken giant transformations. Um, and because of just the way that the pandemic has rolled out, we're actually I'm making a digital adaptation so that we can share and disseminate it because who knows who we can gather in person and theater has kind of been obliterated during the pandemic, people's ability to gather. And it really hasn't been talked about in the fact that theater is being really hard hit. And for me, Break Horizons is about Indigenous emancipation. It's about the respect of Indigenous dignity that's like going through incarceration and also the reclamation of Indigenous femmes, body sovereignty, sexuality, and a sovereign right to have the sense of erotic aliveness, what we're calling, or in my nation, the law of Gwesni, which is what it means to truly be spiritually alive. So Break Horizons really means a lot to me, especially, you know, I was saying when I heard the impetus and the genesis of that project came on a CBC segment, when I heard that Indigenous women were the fastest rising population in the incarcerated system in the Canadian state, and I wanted to investigate what was going on in there. You know, it is a tough topic to hear what Indigenous women have gone through and the sort of traumatic positioning that they've endured to be uh, in incarceration. And for me, uh, it's a part of my teachings as a Sayers Plateau storyteller to ensure that the people who are being the most marginalized, the people who are being the most oppressed, the way the state has weaponized trauma, and actually it's an extension of a genocidal tactics from residential schools to colonization to bring deliberate attention to how uh, the state continues to harm Indigenous people. But in... I would say like one of my friends also called it like Senclipian fashion. We do it with irreverence and humor and rock and vibes because I think that's what we have to do. And as a producer and a creator to keep people's attention because we need people to listen to what's happening to Indigenous people uh, deeply, urgently and with courage. So as you're looking, because when we last talked, you were, you were talking about creating this piece and now you're looking to bringing it to a digital space. So what, what does that look like? Like, how does that process transform the work? How are you, how are you managing that? I think artists who are going to be pivoting from through this pandemic are artists who are going to know how to take the kernel and framework of a story and adapt it to different digital platforms. So for me, the way that I write is there is a story, a framework at sort of the bones of it. And it's just a matter of figuring out what modality is. We're also, I'm writing um, a, a piece for a Green Thumb Theatre called The Mystics, and we're adapting that play into a six-part pod play and sort of a mini-series so that we can get it to Indigenous youth across Turtle Island that talks about the laws and traditional ways of living for a break that's a huge task that I'm heading into right now to basically do a complete redraft of that script meet with the fire uh, the healing company the designers to reimagine what that piece would look like in a digital platform but basically we're looking at like Bruce Springsteen on Broadway Beyonce at Coachella Lady Gaga in concert like we're all watching these like really amazing rock and roll live um, captures of music uh, at festivals been watching a lot of performances at like the Grand Grammys, trying to see how people are in COVID safe ways, uh, capturing live music. And that's what it's going to be is a 75 minute back to back. I kind of think like a long meatloaf, but like Indian vibe music video for 75 minutes. So that's where my brain has kind of been uh, percolating. And I'm just like going on long walks trying to figure out how we do this. But it's a really exciting project. And I think for me, the positive out of this is that more people will be able to see it. With theater, it lives and dies where that house happens. I and mean, people never get to see it again. Now break, we're actually, I'm, I'm speaking with somebody who does uh, engagement at Folsom Prison. We potentially could disseminate this piece to the people who might need that ignition, courage and healing the most by getting it into incarcerated centers and healing lodges, which would 
mean the world to me. One thing that I would love to transition, because we're about to go to promote in a second, but I feel a really good transition would be to just maybe touch on, you put quantum physics into this play. And I, I, I can already see promote like giddily like ready. So could you maybe just like give us like a teaser? How do you infuse quantum physics into the So for horizons? me, I was reading around this notion that there's a theory of the many worlds in the third, fourth and fifth dimensions that kind of the, the law that encapsulates around it or the theories around it. And for me, I put out as a theorist, this notion that um, dark matter and dark energy is actually the ancestors traveling in from the different dimensions and that we can only see it and feel the reaction, but we can't prove it, which is why Midos or non-indigenous people are like, why do you guys think the eagles are your ancestors? Why do you guys have these vibes? I'm putting out the theory that it's actually dark matter, dark energy, which is a scientifically proven presence, is actually our ancestors coming in from the different dimensions through the notions of quantum theory and quantum leap, visiting us in this world. And we only experience in them through that sensorial aspect, but we can't actually prove it because we're three-dimensional beings. So that's what I'm playing around with. <laughs> Promote, uh, what, what's going on here? Is this, a, what is it? What's going on? Is this, uh, is this true? I, is, uh, is, there, is dark matter, is that what dark matter is? Uh, you know what? I absolutely love this theory because I feel like nobody knows what's going on with dark matter. So all cards are on the table and I'm voting for this one because oh, that makes me happy. <laughs> Promote. Uh, let's just transition into your work. And you know what? I after Kim, I think I need uh, I need to crack my beer here. Um, but this is uh, a transition into what we talked about when you were on the podcast because you talked about super fluids and you described that if we stirred a super fluid beer, that it would just keep swirling and swirling and never stop. So that super fluid beer that we stirred back last summer, it's still swirling, right? Absolutely. I mean, I hope you kept it in your negative 273 degree fridge um, because otherwise <laughs> I'll know. Um, but if you did, oh yes, absolutely. Um, that would still be swirling. And if you did some other things to it, it, it could form something um, that's related to my research, which I could tell you about. If you want. Well, get into it. Let's. Uh, what's uh, what, what, what's uh, what's going on with helium? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. Last time I was talking about this superfluid helium, which has this amazing property. When you you know cool it down to almost absolute zero, it becomes frictionless. It moves without you know having any interaction with the container it's in. So we just came out with a paper recently looking at this, studying how superfluid helium behaves when you like squish it down to 100 the width of a human hair. Now, this um, normal liquids would not be able to go through this, like if you squish it down. Um, it's like when you when you try to drink a milkshake that's really thick and you try to get it through a straw, you know, it gets stuck. That's because it's like viscous. And so any liquid that has viscosity, usually you can get a straw small enough that it'll never be able to pass through it. Uh, superfluid helium is the only thing that no matter how small you make that straw, you'll still be able to slurp up that superfluid helium, if you wanted to. You wouldn't want to because it wouldn't taste very good and you would need to go to the ER. But it can do that. And when you do that, it actually does some really, really interesting phenomenon. And we call it a superfluid crystal. What that means is that at the same time in which it is a frictionless fluid, if you squish this helium thin enough, it also becomes like a solid. So this is a a substance that is both a liquid 
and a solid at the same time through the magic of quantum mechanics. Um, nice. <laughs> so that is that is what I've been. Well, I shouldn't say nerding about because I have a different one for that one. Um, but that's what I've been working on, and um, very excited about this research because we can also think about where to take that research afterwards and think about you know where would it be useful because. I like stuff from a fundamental science perspective, you know, like why does it do the things it does? But a lot of the stuff that's happening right now is people are also thinking about how can we use the principles of quantum mechanics to make things that are useful for society? How does it per like get into society and industry? So there are things that could be used for making sensors that are sensitive to the smallest forces in the, in the known universe. So a lot of cool applications in the future too, um, but also a lot of cool fundamental sciences that overturn our ideas of what states of matter are. I have a question. So sure. <laughs> I actually have about 1 million, but we'll start with this one. So you got into <laughs> applications and I love that you're like forward thinking and you're just looking at changing the world. My question, how do you squish helium? <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, it is, uh, that is a very good question and I'm sure it's much harder than I'm gonna make it out to be. I don't actually know because I let the experiment list at the University of Alberta do it and they show me fancy pictures and I believe them, but it just looks like they just make two glass plates and really just squish it. <laughs> and, that, and that's how you squish helium. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny, the, another beer thing that I just thought of is the way the experiment list described the way they figure out that it's a superfluid is the same way like when you have a uh, a bottle of beer and you like blow across the top it makes a noise like you make a beer flute uh, depending on how much beer there is and you can change the tune the same thing happens with the superfluid helium where you can squish it um, really fast and that tells you how much superfluid is inside that um, and so how fast you squish it it makes a a resonant sound that you can hear, not hear really. Um, and that's how they know there is a superfluid in there. So it's the same principle as beer. So many beer connections to superfluids. I hope somebody makes a beer out of this now. Like, well, not out of it, but markets. I was going to say, well, didn't we just learn that it would <laughs> no, end you up in the ER? Not out of it. It's a marketing opportunity. That only oh, you will understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I, all, I promise a market of at least three people that will buy this beer. At least, come on. Uh, well, you've also given uh, me a uh, a really great potential drag name if I ever want to get into drag with the uh, superfluid crystal. I think that uh, is definitely on the draft list uh, for a, a future drag name. Put into the Q and A uh, any other potential uh, drag names. But tell us, promote like <laughs> I want to know more about the superfluid crystal. I mean, like I mean, just like I I have so many, but basically. Like, what is it? Like, it's like, it's a crystal, you know, yeah. is it literally a crystal or is this just like a model? Like when you're talking about superfluid crystal, are you literally talking about crystals? So, I mean, I guess we have to define what a crystal is before we have that conversation. And a crystal is, well, I mean, you can define crystals that you see every day using the same definition. But for a physicist, a crystal is something that has order. So that, um, you know, those uh, chemistry ball and stick models that you have that you build at uh, like atom models with, um, you can just like poke a ball and a stick and they form bonds and then you can build these up into little lattices. That's what a crystal is usually. You have an atom right here and then you have a space and then you have an atom next to it. And a liquid is very different from that in which 
all the atoms are moving around at all all over the place. There's no fixed distance that you are definitely sure you're going to find another atom. That's the definition of the liquid. And the definition of the solid is you, if you know an atom is here, you know exactly what distance, distance away you'll find another atom. And that's the way um, the superfluid can become a crystal. When it's in a normal fluid phase, there is superfluid everywhere. Um, there is no fixed position in space that there isn't any superfluid. But once you squish, like squish it into this really thin space, it suddenly spontaneously forms into a very spatially ordered um, crystal. So it act, the, the news release came out for one of these spatially ordered phases like a year ago when the experimentalists found it, and they literally called it a polka dot phase. So it's a polka dot superfluid, um, and that is what a superfluid crystal is. There is so like many- the polka dot door, but way nerdier. I love it. There's you just, said lattice, and I thought those lattice fries and then tater tots, and I was like, uh, I know what you're talking about. That's my re reference point. I know what I'm going to use. As, like next time I do like some outreach experiment with kids, I'm just going to pull out some uh, lattice waffle fries. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. So, um, yeah, I would love to sort of like combine. It was already started like Kim um, listening to uh, promote and sort of like finding the lattice uh, intersections there. I'd love to hear from the three of you if each, each of you have questions, like what you've heard from each other that from your own perspective of what, what you're curious about. I am curious about, so the aerosol spread, so Sam, um, communicating about that because I feel like that is one of the most like misunderstood parts of this, especially because it, it has, well, my favorite part, it has to do with fluid dynamics and how fluids flow through space. And nobody is really uh, like communicating about that. And these six feet, 15 feet restrictions are seeming, I don't know if they make sense. Do they make sense with aerosol spread? What can you tell us about fluid dynamics um, and how it relates to disease spread? I mean, I'm almost scared to talk about this because it's become like such a polarized topic and such a, like an aggressively polarized topic. So I do want to let people know, actually, when discussing these topics, be aware that there are two kind of really strong camps that attack one another on social media. And it's really, really weird because we're all on the same team here. Like it's, it's weird. They're both pro-science groups, but it, the conversation has become so hostile. So I'm afraid of what I'll say. Um, but I think ultimately um, what the epidemiologist folks have been trying to say is I, I think the, the real point is that everyone uses the same words to mean different things. And when I say everyone, I mean different types of scientists from the fluid dynamics people to the epidemiologists to clinicians and then regular scientists and then people who aren't in science. We all use the same words, but they mean different things to each of us, which is kind of interesting. It's like a non-jargon jargon word. Like aerosol for most people is a hairspray, right? Uh, so I think what's been difficult here is people disagreeing on what the definition should be. But at the end of the day, I always look for the epidemiological pudding, which is what uh, Laurel AKA King gutter baby says, the proof is in the epidemiology pudding. Where are you? What patterns are you seeing through contact tracing? And for the most part, it is close contact. Is it exactly six feet? Nah, <laughs> it's, it's close though. And it's usually prolonged. Most transmission is happening indoors and even outdoor events, there was an indoor component. So I think that tells us 
And I think the the tricky thing is like, do you call that airborne then? It's born by air, but is it airborne? And what does airborne mean? Just because it can transmit via aerosols, does that mean that it's going 50 feet and it's staying in the air for two days? Is that your definition of airborne? So that's why it's all messy, I think. I think what people really care about the most is like, what do I need to do to be safe? <laughs> and I think I love semantics. I will always argue semantics, but at some point we have to be like, people just need to know to ventilate, have distance, wear a mask, less contact is better. What did I forget? I'm sure I forgot something. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that's the real, real takeaway there. I think the arguing is important, but it made the message confusing. I think that's a perfect bottom line. Thank you. Uh, Kim, yeah, go for it. Because pudding just became an incredibly funny word to me. I will be putting pudding somewhere in my next artistic piece because it's oh like, gosh, please. Like, and it'll be an ode to you, Samantha, that one performer will make a joke about like pudding of some kind and you will know it's in there because of this. I am so honored. And also, I think pudding is our theater, right? Because isn't pudding a weird super... Okay, I don't know anything about physics, but am I correct? Is pudding a weird non-Newtonian fluid? Does that relate it, to you, Promote? <laughs> we can if make it relate. If okay. this relates. Like, okay, one, now does pudding relate? Is there a correlation? And two, one of the things that I wanted to ask, because you're in such a specific study, what's something that, like, that people constantly get wrong about the work that you're doing? Like, what is an assumption people make that you're constantly being like, no, 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 like, I'm not holding a beaker with nitrogen like what is something that people think you do that you absolutely do not do um so i think physicists have a, a weird marketing issue with all of the different uh pop media representations that are around of you know asocial and you know sit in a dark basement writing a blackboard all day. I do enjoy blackboards and I have opinions on it, but um, it's, you know, physics is such a social venture. Like science is such a social thing. Like there is community and you have to talk to people. And that's the part of science that really gets me excited about it is talking to people and, uh, you know, sharing ideas. And um, there is this idea of this like lone genius mythology yeah. that's spread very much in, in physics, which I dislike so much, um, perpetuates a lot of like bad ideas about doing science. So that's the one, that's like this big thing that overhangs all physicists, I feel. And it's throughout all of science and it's right. super messed up. It's like the idea yeah. that science is done yeah. in isolation by these like geniuses who do nothing else but science and love this thing and have no other hobbies and are like, why do we think, why, why does society think scientists are elite? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> why could that be? It's, Wait, it's, Kim, it's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. I also really want to know who the marketing team is for science. That's I'm also uh, at a later date. How are they marketing? <laughs> what is their approach? What is the budget? And can I be in their next meeting? Uh, <laughs> there, there isn't one. Uh, budget is zero dollar. You have to pay to do it. <laughs> that's Sounds the like theater. <laughs> yeah, that's the real truth. Um, can I ask him a question? Yes. Or okay, can I? I kind of want to throw your question do you ask promote back to you but with a slight tweak what's something about like the more eurocentric colonialist version of science and academia that 
indigenous ways of knowing are just so much better at like, what's the, the, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to add? Yeah. Look, what's the thing that, I mean, there's a lot of things y'all probably do better, but like, what's the, what's the thing that we all need to change the current dominant academic system? For me, I think it's the hierarchy of knowledge sharing versus knowledge dumping. It's of my teachings that you get into relationship with people to share knowledge and create cyclical like reciprocity relations that you are going to share knowledge, that everybody here has their expertise and that even if you're a professor, an expert, and it's something that I use also for my youth engagement practice is that I'm not the expert in the room. The collective knowledge of the people gathering is the greatest thing and the greatest entity to be harnessed. And so even from a directing position I'm not in here to be like sit on a chair and be like you stand over there you do this I'm the writer don't say that word I didn't write in that way for me it's really a collaborative practice in terms of ensuring that everyone coming into the room is respected for all that they bring in whereas in a lot of Eurocentric imperial places you have that genius you have the director you have the professor you have the tenure track and it's just so uncomfortable for me because it just to me I see ideas die in the room I see ideas get oppressed in moments and I go man someone could have just solved the world right there and yet because of the way the system and the framework of knowledge sharing is set up it's just not appreciated and seem disrespectful and that is that's really hard for me to engage with when I see like a young person and I'm like what can I learn for you what is the honor that I have to get to learn from you today because that's just the way that we were raised that I'm in no way an expert but just a person humbly on route to help serve the community and collect knowledge to help us all in a community of practice. I love that. And I want that. <laughs> I want that for all of us. That would be so amazing. <laughs> like imagine yeah, if yeah, teachers yeah. like came in and we're like, Samantha, Kaylee, like, what do we got to learn today? Like what, how can we collaborate on this class? And like, what do you have to offer? What expertise are you bringing? That to me is the greatest part about my job is getting to come to work and realizing what amazing intelligence and knowledge people come in with that is a new from the, fr- the next day, because I don't know what happened to them since I last saw them. And that's the exciting part about my practice, I think. I love how Kim wanted to write a letter to the manager of science, but I think she basically just made a case that she should be the manager of science. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's too a big misconception is that indigenous peoples don't have scientific theories and work, that indigenous people don't have technologies, that we didn't have engineers, but actually indigenous people in our nations, clans and families had many technologies, ideologies and systems and actual legal orders that informed how we live our lives. And that's a big misconception that we just sat around a fire, looked to the smoke and somehow smudged and came up with our way of life instead of honoring that we had very complex ontological ways of governing ourselves. And that relation-based, value-based order uh, is sometimes deemed to be uh, not as sophisticated as imperial ways of being, which is also just completely fallacious. Amazing. (laughs) Should we we nerd out, guys? Yeah. 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 What you nerdin' about? What you about? All right, all right. If you want to get on the nerd outs, you can also put them into the Q&A, which is now functioning as a chat. Uh, what have you been nerding out about? Uh, let's, uh, let's go to you first, Sam. So what's going on in your world? What are you nerding about? Oh, geez. Geez, I don't know. Uh... I, I think my favorite topic, because I'm itching to get back to neuroscience, uh, I've been thinking a lot about motivational 
science and, and motivational and behavioral neuroscience. Again, I'm just like so thirsty <laughs> to think about the brain again. So um, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> thirsty to think about the, thirsty to learn about the brain again. Love it. So yeah. And just thinking about what motivates us, the different motivating factors that we have, even though it can feel hard to be motivated these days. Um, but it does relate to my work, uh, in vaccine confidence too. just thinking of like, why do people hate vaccines? It's because the reward is so delayed and also kind of never comes because when they work, nothing bad happens. Uh, so it's been really a fun intersection nerding out about psychology, I guess. That's super. I can't wait to, uh, I, I love your COVID communications, but I also am looking forward to the day when I can tune into your feed and I get to see fun brain things. <laughs> Remember this cool cell guy? Like I'm, that used oh. to be my thing. <laughs> you had a great one about why, like when you're cooking vegetables, it gets super green and how, you know, when it's been cooked too long. Like I still remember that from right before the pandemic and then cooking vegetables and being like, well, look how green they are. <laughs> Okay. And also I, I did a whole, like the chemistry of why your vegetables change color. And then I was like, I'm going to use this to cook better. And then my vegetables were great. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> why doesn't this translate for me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Moving on. Kim, what are you nerding out about? I was going to say, because I was just very much engaged in my creative writing and my thesis, like one of the things I was joking around with one of my friends was, was like, I'm really into like syntax these days, like the construction of a sentence. Like we jokingly say like, that sentence is sexy. That sentence is working hard for you. That sentence <laughs> is giving me life. Like the, the nerding out on just the way you can construct a sentence and be like, whoo. Ooh, so I've been like nerding out on reading things and looking at people who are posting things and being like that apostrophe, that comma use, that semicolon, that M dash. So it's like for me, I've just been in lit world and really trying to think and build my capacity around it. But like first hating that stuff because it seems so intimidating and there were so many rules around it, but recognizing that as a creative writer, how can we manipulate them, use them, leverage them and like make them fun. And once I realized that I could claim that power and it wasn't like my English 10 being like teacher, English teacher being like, you suck at writing, don't ever write poetry. Like all of that trauma we endured in high school when everyone basically got told they suck at creative writing, which we don't because we all really know how to creative write. We just got traumatized in high school because we weren't the greatest but I just so anyways reclaiming the notion that sentence construction creative writing composition can be uh, something that we all do and I really love looking at it and seeing how the vibe like people have syntactical vibe and so like that is a sentence I just said and these are things that I'm nerding out on <laughs> Syntactical vibe. There is so many uh, great uh, things I should be tweeting out right now, um, but we are recording it. Uh, so I'm going to go back no. and, and look at uh, some of uh, these gems. Sam, you, I saw you unmute uh, for a second. Did you have something to say? I was just going to say, it's so funny you bring up syntax and like order of things and sentences. Cause you know, people say like, not me saying syntactical, like in it or whatever word you said. <laughs> and I like, I love how you can say something so wrong, but it makes sense. And that's kind of like what I love about meme culture and internet culture is like, things don't really make sense, but then they do. And it just tells you the whole construct of grammar and whatever just is not necessary. 
It's unnecessary. And anybody weaponizing grammar, anyone shaming people for syntax can literally go to hell. Like literally people get sh- like, they're like, I'm afraid to post because like what the grammar police are going to come after anyone who's ever corrected. So, like literally go away. It doesn't matter. It literally Sometimes doesn't matter. The version that is grammatically incorrect is more clear. So for me, I'll actually like, I I will end a sentence with four or two because it's like, it makes more sense. It sounds better. And it's screw you where you're at and the vibe you're coming from. And if you didn't have enough time to prove who cares, like literally, if you care, move on, kick rocks, get, get something else to care about. It really doesn't matter. We're not writing an LSAT here. It's social media. Oh my God. Uh, speaking of moving on, uh, promote what syntactical vibes are you nerding out on? Oh, okay. Actually, this might be a good, that's a great segue. So I have been nerding out about an old mathematical question. Don't let that turn you off that. I want you, all of you to answer before I explain what the question even means or give the answer to. Okay. 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 So the question is, can you hear the shape of a drum? Yes or no? Let's go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So can you hear the shape of a drum? The answers are all yes. And so this was a question asked by a mathematician back in 1964. Um, And the the question amounts to asking, so I'm doing props now. Okay. So here is a drum. Um, So I can play this. And then if you look back behind me, I have a bigger drum there. If you hit it, it's gonna make a deeper sound, right? So the question is, amounts to asking whether the the sound a drum makes is like a fingerprint. Can you uniquely identify which drum it, it is by just listening to it? So it's it's a really great question and it actually has a really good mathematical way to answer it. So they asked this question in 1964 and they immediately got an answer in the negative saying, no, there are drums that can sound the same, but have different shapes, but wait for it, in 16 dimensions. So if you were a 17 dimensional being and you brought your 16 dimensional drum with you to the drum circle, um, you might find that there's a person with a drum that looks the completely different shape, but sounds the same. Okay, so this is fine, 1964. They answered it immediately in 16 dimensions in, in less than a year. It took th- almost 30 years to answer it in our world. So in, 90, in the 90s was when they figured out that in two dimensions, the normal two-dimensional flat drums that we play, that is also true in two dimensions. You can make a two-dimensional drum that has different shapes, but sounds the exact same as the other one. Um, so I've been nerding out about this question and how amazing of a, like a historical fact it is and how mathematicians work. They're like, oh yeah, two dimensions, way too hard. Let's do 16 dimensions first and then work our way down. Just blew my mind. And it's also like, again, all of you said yes. The answer is no. So but maybe I, we're 17 take home dimensional with, uh, beings. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I yeah, Don't tell me how many on the inside, I am. I, I on the can, inside, oh, you are infinite dimensional. Yeah, but I think Promote won that round for nerding out, just saying. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We've got a pretty strong contender coming next, generally, on the nerd outs. Okay. Michael, what are you nerding out about? Oh, Ooh, yes. 
Uh, 18 Dimensions. 18 Dimensions. So uh, really quick, um, the other job that I've been doing this past year is working with the BC Science Fair Foundation. Uh, I'm sweating for science right now, uh, raising money for kids in science fairs. Um, One thing that has been decimated in this pandemic is extracurricular activities. Mm. Not just for the kids, but for the teachers that are having to take that on amongst all of the other things that they're taking on. So my nerd out is actually a challenge to all of you. Think of a teacher that you know in your life or a, um, a stay-at-home um, a, um, a homeschool parent, okay? Think of them. And as soon as we're done here, I want you to message them just to say, hey, how's it going? Because I can guarantee you they are stressed out right now. It's the end of the school year. This has been a, a wall-to-wall pandemic school year. And sometimes they run into, you know, parents in the grocery store and the parents ask them that question, but they can't say, I'm fucking crying every day. No, they're stressed out. So uh, let's uh, give some love to our teacher and um, stay at home uh, parents that are teaching their kids right now because, you know, there's extracurricular activities. We took them for granted, you know, like when we were kids. Uh, but science fairs, uh, sweating for science, go check out, uh, just Google it. And uh, yeah, I've been running every day. That's what I'm nerding out about. Uh, Kaylee, what about you? Uh, Well, now for something of a slightly (laughs) different flavor. Today, we released our uh, recent episode of the podcast with Peter Chaurier. And Peter talked to us all about bees. And while we were recording that episode, uh, it reminded me of some orchid bees that I had learned about. In the podcast, I talk a little bit about the orchid bees. But like, I've been nerding out about them so hard because one, they're beautiful. But two, they're real weird. So the, I just have to, so the male bees go around and they grab scent compounds. And I always thought that they had, or I had thought that they just grabbed them from orchids so that they smell nice and make a sexy little cologne for the female bees to attract them. Well, on a bit of a deeper dive, I've learned that they actually grab these compounds from like 20 to 40 different things, including stuff like tree resin, rotting wood, fungi, leaf litter, a compound called scatoli from feces and they just go around and they mix this little unique cologne to bring the female bees uh, to the yard and um, I just love that idea that I could walk through my environment be like I like that that's for me I like this this is also for me I would pretty much just rub myself all over a poplar I think that would be my that would be my scent but anyway they store their little perfume in their back legs like what is going on that's me (laughs) want that (laughs) Uh, and effort. They're still putting in the effort. They're not saying it's COVID times. I'm just going to wear whatever and put my hair in a bun and wear pajamas. Totally. They're still gathering scents and putting it in their back legs. Respect. They put on the <laughs> organza sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, everyone, that's the, uh, that's the end of our hour. This has been uh, an amazing time. You know, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you all for being on the podcast. Kaylee just mentioned uh, Peter Sorier, which that episode was just released. So if anyone watching has uh, not listened to that, you should definitely go. And if you haven't listened to Promotes Kim's or Saman's episodes, you know, uh, check those out. We really appreciate all your support please uh you know like and subscribe write us a review you know those 
always help. We'll be yeah. back doing live events eventually at some point. Um, final things. Uh, thank you to my work, the HR McMillan Space Center, for do donating us this uh, Zoom webinar. Uh, check us out. Uh, we're still not open, but we're doing online events. And, well, we are kind of open, just not our theaters. Uh, but go to our website, check out our events uh, that we got going on there. And check out Visions of Science, uh, which is a, um, a nonprofit that Sam works on, um, a charitable organization uh, aiming to advance the educational achievements and positive development of youth uh, from low-income, marginalized communities through meaningful engagement in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Go there if you have uh, any extra money. We've uh, thrown out a ton of charities uh, tonight, but really appreciate uh, all your support. Any last words, Kaylee? Yeah, I think uh, this, was a, this was a great first live podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We're not going to be back in a couple of weeks like I normally say, but until we meet again, it's all about communications, quantum, and rock and roll. <laughs>